Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back with us today. Hope you're ready to study the Bible for 30 minutes because that's all we do on this program is answer questions about the Bible. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime, either one you want to get in touch with us. Uh, we'll tell you, our, we'll take your question and put it on the list. Uh, obviously, we're always a little bit behind because we have to put closed captioning on and other things, so we have to tape ahead, but uh, we'll get to it just as quickly as we can. So give us a question and we'll answer it one of these days. Uh, we get all kinds of questions very detailed ones about the Bible sometimes and very general ones about life. If the Bible says something about it, we'd be happy to try to help you know what the Bible says about it. And when I say we, I mean me and my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we always begin with a question for our viewers to see if they know just a little bit of Bible knowledge here. And this one's kind of a famous verse talks about the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, what is that that's the root of all kinds of evil? So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. And it's a little bit of a trick question, so think about it real carefully before you answer. All right, looks like I drew the first one in this program, so let's get going. And the first question is, I know what the Bible says about tithing. Uh, what's the required amount today? Well, the good thing is this viewer understands that there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament talked about tithing. Tithing was commanded. The Jews had to give a tithe, and that tithe was a 10% is what tithe means, a uh, 10%. Sometimes people today talk about, well, I give my tithe, and uh, you say, how much do you give? And they say, well, 1% or 2% or something. Well, you, you're giving an offering, but you're not giving a tithe. A tithe is 10%. Uh, so that's what the Old Testament said, but our viewer notices, I know all that, but what's the required amount today? And in the New Testament, we don't have a required amount. Uh, doesn't say give 10% or 15 or 5 or anything like that. Uh, here are some of the general teachings that the Bible has about our giving today. We call it free will offering because we get to give whatever we want. Uh, but here's what some, some verses say about it. All these are from Paul's First and Second Corinthians books. 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says they ought to give as they're prospered or in keeping with your income. So it's relative to your income. If you make a little bit of money, you ought to give a little bit. If you make a lot of money, you ought to give a lot of money. So as you're prospered, you give. Second Corinthians 8.2 says to give in rich generosity. Now you see, if we had a limit, if God said you gotta give 11%, uh, there's no way you could obey this command. You couldn't be rich in generosity. 
so that's one rule. And 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says you're supposed to excel in the gift of giving, the grace of giving. <clears throat> so if we had a limit, we had a specific number, there's no way we could excel at it. And a Christian's goal ought to be to excel in the grace of giving. Uh, maybe start at 10% since that was the old law. It would be a good place to start. But uh, then as you're prospered, think about, all right, this year I want to move that up to 11%. And next year I want to move it up to 12%. I'm going to excel at this. Uh, what you'll find out is that you can't outgive God. And that's one reason he didn't give us a limit uh, is he wants to show us that you give and it will be given unto you. Excuse me. I don't think I've ever sneezed on the program before, <laughs> but we knew, we knew to sneeze God button to, to cut me out here. <laughs> well, we got that out of the way. <laughs> Anyhow, we don't have a limit. Uh, free will offering, give what uh, you're prospered to give and try to excel at it and, and give more and more as you are prospered and as you're able. God will bless you. He'll pour it back into your lap uh, is what the Bible says about it. So no limit and give as much as you want and you'll find out how God blesses you. All right. All right. We're going to try to figure out who Melchizedek is. That's a simple question. Who is Melchizedek? And they give a, a scriptural reference there is, of course, where he is mentioned. And we'll go to the uh, mention those verses. Uh, this is a bit of a mystery, biblically speaking, because uh, Melchizedek is mentioned, uh, but the Bible doesn't just gives us enough to sort of tease us about who he is and what his purpose was and how he was different. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Steve just mentioned the tithe. You know, here's Abraham giving a tithe toward Melchizedek. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Okay, well, you read this description, it's very puzzling. Who exactly was his character? He sounds very important, and indeed he was. But if he was so important, why is so little said about him and where he fits and how he fits into the picture? Uh, Melchizedek is mentioned by my count five times in the Bible. The very first time is uh, Genesis 14. The Hebrew writer just described what happened in Genesis 14, then Psalm 110, and then the, the remaining three are Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. <clears throat> we know very little about Melchizedek, but it seems that the writer of Hebrews is pointing to him as a type of Christ, as a foreshadower of how Jesus would be as both king and priest. Um, he was a unique king, uh, a, a king priest uh, who served in the time of Abram. And he blessed Abram after he had returned from defeating the four kings after they had captured Lot. <clears throat> and Abraham, as such, gave him a tithe. He served as the priest to God Most High, but he was priest before there was any such Levitical priesthood and Aaron and all of his descendants. Uh, and he had no lineage. 
that <clears throat> that we know of. Um, so that's, I think, what the Hebrew writer is saying is he was without beginning, without end. <clears throat> the Levi Le Levitical priesthood was based on heredity and genealogy and where you fit into that family. And you were born into it. You either were a Levite or weren't by nature of whose family you were born into. Uh, Mel Melchizedek's lineage is unknown, uh, either before or since. But we know he was a special character, certainly had a, a uh, 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 was honored by uh, men of faith like Abram and referred to in Hebrews, the, by the Hebrew writers as a type of priest in the order that Jesus would be, where he was a priest, but it was different than the way uh, the Levitical priesthood was. So his priesthood and Jesus's were both superior to that older kind of priesthood. It was different. And uh, beyond that, we don't know who Melchizedek was. So uh, you can read and research all sorts of different speculation, and, but at the end of it, it all comes back to this is our best guess. We just know he was a special king priest, and uh, he had a unique place in the story of God. So I hope that can help you in two or three minutes. All righty, thank you. <coughs> uh, we get theoretical questions every once in a while. People dream up all sorts of things. What if, and here's a good one, a uh, viewer wants to know, could... A man read the Bible, believe the gospel, repent, and baptize himself. Uh, a solo act here, just uh, completely without any help. Read the Bible, understand it, decide they wanted to be a Christian, repent, and baptize themselves. Uh, theoretical questions are sometimes a little bit uh, exercises in futility. You can argue around and around about things that probably won't ever happen. Uh, but this one could happen, I guess, and uh, my answer would be, as far as I know, yes, it would be fine uh, to consider that somebody all alone on a desert island with a Bible uh, got to reading and figured out the gospel message. I certainly believe that's possible. Lots of people have done that. Uh, but to go ahead and uh, repent to God and baptize yourself if there was nobody else around to help you with it, Certainly a theoretical possibility, and I don't see any reason it wouldn't be okay. Uh, I will take it one step further. If that did happen, <clears throat> if somebody was on a desert island and uh, became a Christian that way, uh, they would miss a whole lot. Uh, they would miss the fellowship uh, of being with other Christians. They would miss the opportunity of being together and worshiping together and encouraging together uh, in a church, uh, building each other up, uh, while becoming a Christian solo is certainly a possibility. Uh, we're left on earth uh, for some other purposes, and one of them is to fellowship and grow and encourage each other uh, with other Christians. So that's a big part of the Christian life, uh, a person all alone, isolated, away from everybody else would certainly miss a whole lot of the Christian life. Uh, but since we're answering theoretical questions, I don't see any reason it, it wouldn't be okay. So if you want to deal in theory, there you go. <laughs> and you, you know, you can also think about this in other areas of life. There are many things where, that you could do on your own, mm -hmm. solo by yourself. I mean, think about going into business. A guy could run a business and do that all by himself and not hire anybody else, but there'd be a limit to how much he could grow and be productive. Yep. And there's a lot of areas of life you could, 
in theory, do it by yourself, <laughs> but it's a lot better and you'll uh, you'll grow a lot faster yep. having, it, a, having a team. Interesting question. Sure. All right, let me take just a moment to tell you a good way to study the Bible. We uh, have some Bible study tools here on Know Your Bible that we offer to folks each week. <laughs> Uh, absolutely free of charge. Oh, we pay the postage. Uh, it comes to you in the mail. Uh, it's just some materials that help you study the Bible. Um, some people can sit down with the Bible and just read straight through it and learn a lot. To, like that last question. Uh, that's the way that guy was going to do it. Uh, he'd probably learn a little quicker if we could send him a Know Your Bible <laughs> correspondence course. He'd learn a lot more about the Bible a lot quicker, but uh, it's one way that you can do it. And this uh, course on the screen right now has eight lessons in it. Uh, the first two are right there, the Old Testament, the New Testament. That's where you start. That's where you learn the two big divisions of your Bible. Then it goes on to some other topics. And when you're done with these eight lessons, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. Uh, we'll be happy to send you a certificate when you're done that says you completed it and accomplished that goal. And then we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to keep sending for a long time. You can study with Know Your Bible study materials. So phone number, website's on the screen. Just use those anytime you want. Tell us you want that free course. And we'll get it started for you. Now, if you go through all the courses, you'll learn a whole lot about the Bible. You will not learn the answer to Toby's next question. <laughs> yes, uh, this is a unique one here. The viewer asks, how does the, what does the Bible say about how you align your bed? I heard you shouldn't sleep with your head to the west like a grave. Well, I had to really think about this one because, uh, in, I mean, I... I I don't know if this is a feng shui question or <laughs> it maybe it is. Uh, some people uh, believe that there's a, I believe it's an Eastern tradition. There's a certain way to arrange a room properly where the flow of everything and the energy and all that. And the Bible doesn't say anything about that. You arrange it however you like. Um, as regard, in regard to uh, lying like a grave, uh, the tradition of when people are buried and they face the east, uh, that just is a kind of a custom, and it kind of comes from a verse that people read a lot into that Jesus, when he returns, will come from the east, and so they they face him also. They'll be facing him and ready to be here when he goes. Uh, is the Bible command that? No, uh, but we can show you the verse where it comes from. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 27 reads simply, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, does that have anything to do with how you align your bed? No. Uh, does the Bible give any direction on that? No. Which means that you have absolute freedom to align it any way you like. And if you're more comfortable where it's not lined up like the, the, the graves, that's fine. And if you want to line it with your head on the west, uh, that I suppose is fine as well. But yeah, that would be the the later correspondence courses where they get those answers. I haven't even somebody somebody taken got those confused. Tests. Thought this was home and garden TV. I don't we, know. We, we, I don't we know. We don't do decorating. We, very that is well. proof, though. That we will take any question on this program, and we, we'll do we, our best. We'll give a shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one's a little more. Uh, applicable perhaps. <clears throat> viewer wants to know what verses would justify defending your home or your country? And we do get questions about uh, self-protection, self-defense, uh, serving in the military. We get questions about that a lot. And this viewer just wants some verses. Uh, which one would justify that? Now, 
before I show you some verses, let me say I totally understand uh, someone taking a pacifistic position. Jesus does teach a lot about turning the other cheek and uh, all of that. Uh, if you want to take that and understand that that's the best way you can be a Christian is to never resist, uh, to not serve in the military, to never be a policeman, uh, have conscientious objections against that, I understand that completely. Uh, I, and I believe for some people whose consciences are built that way, then that's the right answer. Uh, but I also believe God would approve of us defending ourselves, uh, protecting our family particularly, and I think government has a role in defending this country or any country and peoples, and uh, if a Christian doesn't conscientiously object to serving that way, I think that's all right too. Uh, this viewer asked for some verses. Let me just give you a few general ones. You can look them up and read them in detail. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus was sending his apostles out on one of their mission trips, um, he recognized that it was dangerous out there. He told them to get a sword. Now, the only reason he would tell them that is that there's robbers and bad guys out there, and you may need a protection. So he told his followers, get a sword. Uh, Exodus 22, now this is going back to the Old Testament, uh, but it does teach us something about God's principles. And in the old law, uh, if you were in your home, your tent or your mud hut or whatever you lived in, and somebody came in at night and you defended yourself and whacked them upside the head and they died, Exodus 22 says the home defender will not be guilty of bloodshed couldn't tell who they were. They were a threat to you. They were in your home. Uh, you have a right to take them out if you have to. So that was God's principle back then. Uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, it says that governments are supposed to punish the evildoer. Uh, that's the role of government in Romans chapter 13. That's why I gave you that whole chapter there. Read it. It says God ordains governments. And their role is to protect innocent people and punish bad people. And well, as a city, as a township, uh, there's good people and bad people. So there's a government formed and a police force, and that's what they're supposed to do is protect good people, punish innocent people. As a nation, uh, there are evil people in this world, and our government is authorized by God to punish them. So... Uh, those are some verses, some passages that justify, if you will, uh, defending yourself or your country. And coming back to where I started, I still think as a Christian, it's an individual decision. Uh, if you have a conscientious objection to that, our government allows you to have a conscientious objection uh, and not serve in that way. But if you're all right with it, I think it's all right for a Christian to do that. So... Uh, those are some verses that justify what you're asking about, I think. We'll take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you sometime. Uh, the Churches of Christ keep this program on the air and provide this program for you. And we like to mention uh, one or two each week that uh, is a supporter of this program. And this week, let's mention two right here. And very close to Wichita, those the Augusta Congregation, the Derby Church, uh, both of those 
believe this program does a good job in teaching and helps us stay on the air. So if you live in one of those uh, communities, uh, let somebody know that you heard about them, you appreciate the program. Maybe you know a member of the Church of Christ in one of those cities, either Augusta or Derby. Maybe you know Larry Scarth, the preacher down at Derby. Uh, if you run into him, tell him, hey, I appreciate you keeping that program on the air for us and saw you advertised on it the other day, so thanks for the program. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, Either one of these would be a group of folks that study the Bible like we do and uh, would certainly welcome you warmly to visit with them. Uh, any area you're watching in, there's a Church of Christ probably close to you and uh, drop in and visit them sometime or tell them thanks for keeping Know Your Bible on the air. All right, Toby, Song of Solomon. And Hannah Smith has a question about why this is in there. Uh, <laughs> why is the Song of Solomon included in the Bible? It reads more like a romance novel than scripture. And I think that's a, it's a good introduction to the Bible. Most people think the Bible is a very boring book. And I tell you, if you, you tried to make the Bible into a movie, uh, it'd be hard to pass the old uh, motion picture association. It's a very honest book. But to me, the Song of Solomon is a wonderful book because it shows us most people <clears throat> believe that people of faith, uh, you know, are sort of stick in the mud and, and uh, that they just believe that all sex is wrong and sinful. No, no, not that's not the case at all. Sex, we believe, is a gift from God uh, designed to cement together the, the, a man and a woman in the holy covenant of marriage. It's a beautiful gift of God that should be enjoyed and celebrated by a husband and wife. And so when you read the Song of Solomon, which is a book of poetry, uh, and it talks about uh, Solomon, uh, and this is back and forth between the, the lover and the beloved, and how uh, it, it does go into great detail. And you, when you read it, you know, it gets a little steamy in some parts for sure. But that's okay, because uh, God designed the sexual relationship between a man and a woman to be a good thing. He created that. He designed that. And so there's nothing shameful about it in the right context. Now, unfortunately, our world abuses and twists and perverts uh, what uh, God intended to be a beautiful and good thing. That's how the enemy often works. And so people are ashamed of their uh, sexual lives, and they should be because they're not using it in the right way, the way that God intended. But in the Holy Covenant of Marriage, it is one of the most beautiful, wonderful things and uh, shouldn't be ashamed of it at all. So if you're married, certainly I would encourage you to, to read it and study it and think more about how to be uh, a better husband and wife and uh, to enjoy the gift of uh, sexual relationship. Uh, it's the glue that holds the marriage together, and uh, there's something very special about it, and that God intended it for it to be good. Let's read from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. See, you thought Johnny Cash started that, but no, it's uh, right there in the Bible. The power of love between two people and the beautiful uh, uh, gift that he's given a man and a wife to enjoy the sexual relationship. So that's why it's in there. All righty, thank you. Uh, interesting question here. A viewer wants to know, does God have a way to tell us when we are about to die? Well, I'd never thought of that before until we got this question. Uh, in general, I think the answer is no. Uh, he does give us a very, very general warning. Uh, Proverbs says that our days on earth are about 70 or maybe 80 if we're strong. So somewhere in 70 and 80 range, he 
you might start thinking about death a little bit. Uh, some people think about it a lot earlier, and some people don't want to think about it at all. But uh, in there somewhere, you, it starts becoming a little more real. Uh, but that's a very general warning and not what our viewers talking about, I'm sure. Uh, he did warn a few people in the Bible, told them how many years they had left, or told them they were going to surely die or something like that. But that's not his practice. He doesn't warn us that I know of. Uh, I think sometimes doctors or hospice workers kind of have a sense about it. They've seen enough death that they kind of know the signs and uh, can tell the family that uh, this person doesn't have too much longer left or something like that. But uh, the person dying usually doesn't know that or recognize that. Uh, and thinking about this question, and the answer to it is no, I don't think God does warn us in any way. Uh, it occurred to me that sometimes I think it's the other way around. Sometimes we tell God when we're ready to go. Uh, I think there's a lot of power in that. I've seen cases where somebody's decided, okay, I'm, I've had enough. I've lived a good life. My uh, family's ready for me to go, and I'm ready to get on out of here. Uh, and it happens pretty quickly after that decision is made. Uh, I've also seen people that hold on for certain event, uh, maybe a son or grandson or something is coming from some other part of the country and uh, they wait till they get there and then surrender. Uh, so I think sometimes it goes the other way. We tell God, all right, I'm ready to come home uh, and he mercifully takes us. But no, I don't think there's any warning system that I know of. All right, Toby. Okay. A viewer wants to know or says this, uh, I believed in sprinkling but was told by some friends that unless you were immersed, you will not enter heaven. So I was also immersed. Well, I appreciate you uh, telling uh, us about this. And um, what I would say is that, yeah, people have an understanding of baptism and they think that it, you know, baptism is baptism is baptism, but the word baptism means immersion. And there are other forms of sprinkling and pouring and so forth that are not technically baptism because uh, the word there simply means to be dipped or immersed. Uh, that's what Jesus commanded, what the apostles commanded, what they practiced. Every single example in the, the New Testament church of someone becoming a Christian is them going down into the water and coming up out of the water. So uh, what uh, you or I think about it or even what another uh, pastor or preacher or teacher tells you uh, is only true if it reconciles with the Word of God. And so pay attention to that and sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course if you'd like to learn uh, more about uh, the, the cho choice to be baptized and by that we mean immersion. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So our hope, of course, is in Christ and how we get into Christ according to the Word is by baptism, which is immersion. All right. Good explanation there. Uh, about out of time for questions today, but let's uh, make sure we get our trivia question answered. Uh, this one that... What is the root of all kinds of evil? And I imagine most people have heard that quote, and I imagine the most likely answer is money. But 
that's wrong. <laughs> if you read 1 Timothy 6.10, and that's why I put it up there that way, and most people guess money and quote it that way even, say money is the root of all kinds of evil. Nope, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So read the passage, you'll find out that loving money is the problem. Money is not a problem by itself. If you love it, though, it'll get you in trouble. So read the verse. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.